Welcome to Foot Guns, home to the only hype-free investment-based crypto podcast. Satoshi Nakamoto said it was going to happen. You know, I want half a million dollars of exposure to it. Ethereum. And, you know, everybody that's trading this was doing what I was doing today. A 51% attack where the chain split into three different chains. All of a sudden, I have Ethereum in my MetaMask account. And so anything from a regulatory standpoint that stifles DeFi is bad to me. Hello, welcome to another very special episode of the Foot Guns podcast. Um, you're hearing my voice. This is Wasabi Boat Research, and that can only mean one thing, that Boomer is off. This week he's on, I believe, a penguin hunting expedition with Nancy Pelosi. So I'm filling in for him. <laughs> Today, we are talking, um, I'm, I'm here with Hal, uh, 69K, aka 1500Badger LLC, aka Shadowy Crypto Bond Villain. And today, we're talking with Arbitrage Andy. And you were introduced to me as a financial meme account. And I don't know if that's how you see yourself, but I checked you out and you've got, I guess, 240 some thousand uh, Instagram followers and and you know, five digits on Twitter and I guess a bunch of other accounts that you're, that you're posting stuff on. And, um, so I was looking through your stuff and I just have one question that I have to ask you, um, to kick things off. And that is what is a deal sled? <laughs> uh, I first of all, appreciate you guys having me on, uh, definitely looking forward to, to jumping into some topics here. Um, yeah. Uh, so a deal sled, I'm, you, you may or may not own some of them, but, uh, sort of refers to, to the infamous uh, Gucci Bitloafer that is uh, so cherished uh, in, in financial services. So I'm not sure if you guys are proud owners of them, but. I'm not. I'm more I, of the. I, uh, I, mean, I personally spend my time on the beach, so uh, <laughs> mostly in sandals or just like no shoes at all. But I did I did see the hat. I like I, I, I recognize the shoe. Yeah, I mean, look, like I think, I think the golden age, the golden age of deal sleds was, you know, four or five years ago when all of these uh, financial meme pages sort of, um, you know, respond like liquidity, not your father's broker, EBITDAD, so some of the original accounts, um, and at that time, like financial meme accounts, I think primarily documented, you know, facets of of uh, you know jobs and finance, and and that was sort of how they started. Um, and I think over the last three to four years, they've, they've definitely developed and, and grown into, you know, media, more or less media, mini media companies, so to speak. So are you still, or have you ever, you know, worked in a traditional finance job? Is that what you're doing now? Or how did you kind of end up with these big accounts? Yeah. Yeah. So I spent about four and a, uh, yeah, I'd say about four and a half years in sales and trading, smaller shop, um, working in commodities, and that was my first role out of um, school. And, you know, initially was looking for, you know, a front office role where like I was going to be able to run my own book. And I think at the bigger shops, like you definitely get more experience. But if you're talking about, you know, closing deals within the first couple of months of, of joining somewhere, um, I think that can be a little bit more difficult. So I really wanted to get that first, you know, hands-on experience. Um, so I did that for about four and a half years. And that sort of that tenure sort of ended around uh, when the pandemic got really bad. Um, and at that point in time, I saw a massive surge in, and we all did, I think, in, in retail trading activity. Um, 
I saw a lot of, you know, stock related content, a lot of market related content doing very well. Um, and it seems like, you know, me and a couple of the other players that, that have these, you know, digital assets that kind of sit um, at the intersection of Wall Street, it was a great time to capitalize on it. And so at that time, um, got a little bit more involved in tech, uh, e-commerce, sort of building out my digital business, um, you know, adding to, to the digital assets that I had and trying to really expand that presence. Um, and we can get into it a little bit later, but I think this, you know, overlaps with a lot of the NFT developments and a lot of the opportunities that are opening up online. Yeah. So I, you know, I, I found your Instagram and your Twitter, and I guess you have a Substack and other stuff. Do you have one of those that you consider like your flagship account? Like if you want a listener to, to come connect with you, do you have one place that, that you'd like to send them right up front? Yeah. I mean, I would say we, we just launched the ARB letter. Um, I have some contributors that are helping, but for the most part, it's something that I'm coming up with twice a week. Um, ultimately, like the ARB letter, um, I can tell you right now that uh, I guess the initial following has far surpassed my expectations. Um, we've got thousands of bankers, traders, salesmen involved. Um, and ultimately, like, look, I'm a 29-year-old guy. I'm, I'm far from, you know, super experienced and, and having everything worked out. But ultimately, it's it's the sum of, you know, how I'm looking at the world, how I'm trading, how I'm saving my money, um, as well as kind of documenting those uh, uh, ventures online with my online business and, and the content that I create. So I think, you know, I've, I've never worked in financial services or anything, but I've always been, it came to the crypto world just by like, being interested in managing my own money and buying stuff, you know, for a long time, that was like picking stocks and reading about companies and, you know, investing in my IRA and stuff like that. And so I was a big consumer of like financial blogs and podcasts and stuff like that. And, mm -hmm. you know, over the years, you just see like more and more of these people go from kind of crypto hostile to crypto curious to kind of some of them yeah. going all in on crypto. And it seems like from your account, like you've kind of had a similar path. So like what, what, did you have any kind of like aha moments that woke you up to crypto or what was like the, the start of your crypto journey? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. Um, I would say that I agree with you. I've definitely noticed that as well. I've noticed people that, you know, maybe were initially adverse to, uh, to researching crypto are now kind of changing their minds. Um, I think that's good to see. Uh, the genesis of, of my interest and my action in crypto was uh, towards the tail end of 2017. Um, and at that time, a uh, couple of friends, you know, had had sort of begun speaking about it. I remember hearing about Bitcoin in, you know, 2014 when I was an undergrad. And at that time, I, I had, you know, I had completely written it off. It seemed too complicated. It, it seemed too foreign. Uh, you know, in college, I was just concerned about having money to go, you know, to the bar every week. So uh, it wasn't really something that I spent much time on. In 2017, um, some of my friends that were working in the city uh, began to sort of chat about it. I got a little bit of interest in it. Um, Ethereum was the first uh, that I was sort of introduced to, had a very basic understanding of it. And essentially what happened was in the tail end of that bull market, um, I would say I probably entered the market with about 20 to 30 percent to go to the top, and I mean the top, top, before we entered that bear market. And so, you know, I got a little bit of that euphoria. I got a little bit of that buzz riding that up 20, 30%. At the time, it was probably a five-figure investment, right? It, it, was, it wasn't a lot of money, but it was, you know, meaningful money for someone in their early 20s. And, you know, 
I watched I watched that bag go to minus 70, minus 80, minus 90% at one point. Mm. Um, and at the time, I think the portfolio was made up primarily of a little bit of Bitcoin, Ethereum, Cardano. Um, I had what I consider now to be like, you know, new era shit coins. I had Tron. I had IOTA, which I don't even think exists anymore. Um, you know, and I spread my money out across, you know, a bunch of names and lost lost a lot of money. But I did hold that bag. And yeah, yeah. So I guess so how, how, like, what, yeah. Remember how you were feeling at that time? Because uh, you know, I gotta, I gotta point out that there's, there's a lot of cryptos, right? That like since, since uh, yeah. May, like they're they're down eighty percent, right? And they haven't, they haven't recovered. Yep. There's a lot that did recover, but there's, there's probably a lot of people out there right now who just got into crypto for the very first time, you know, earlier this year that are listening to this that are probably feeling similar to how you felt at that time. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think that's that's an astute point. Um, look, that's that's part of earning your stripes in crypto. And like, ultimately, I would attribute that lesson that I learned, which, you know, uh, there were a couple lessons, I think, but the primary one was that you got to be careful, you know, if if you're if your aunt's asking you about Dogecoin, if you know, the barber's telling you that he's in on Cardano, like typically, those are signs that you're at a local top. <laughs> um, and, and you'd be well advised to, to pay attention to those. Um, yeah, I mean, look, I got caught up in the euphoria back in twenty at the end of twenty seventeen, um, and in, in early twenty eighteen, and I and I paid the price. Now, the fact that I was well positioned for this next bull market cycle, whatever you want to call it, um, I think that was probably partly due to the fact that I was just so mad, I was down so bad <laughs> that I just wanted to ignore it. Um, and the other part of it was that it was kind of a hassle, right? It was kind of a hassle to get it off of Gemini. It was just like, all right, whatever. Uh, I'm yeah, writing that's this called, off. That's ra- called rage trading, right? I mean, that's I mean, yeah, I, uh, yeah, yeah. I like I shorted the the S and P last year, right? And like was up so huge, and then uh, yeah. you know, I like doubled down on it. And then you know, Jerome Powell came out the next day and said, "Hey, we're going to print two trillion dollars." And I lost so much money and I, you know, I just went into this like three or four year, I mean, sorry, three or four month like moment where I just couldn't, I couldn't like bring myself out of that emotion. Right. Because it was just like, yeah. why did I screw that up so bad? Yeah. That, that it's a, it's a tough moment. It's a tough moment in trading to, to push through that. Yeah. And, and so, you know, I think I, I did have the wherewithal at that time to, to look at it and say, hey, you knew the risks of getting involved in this in the first place. Um, you know, now in retrospect, I know that I was even earlier than most people are this year, right? And so it paid off the hold. So, you know, I can't tell anybody what to do with their money. I, I would say, you know, I, I, I mentioned this before we hopped on here, about 90% of my portfolio is long-term, at least three to five-year time horizon. Um, I will reallocate things if I if I see something looks juicy, um, but for the most part, it's long. And I think that's one of the valuable lessons you can learn. Um, people are getting caught up in this retail trading phenomena that is, you know, largely a result of the Fed's monetary policy, and everyone thinks things go up only, right? And that's a dangerous environment to learn how to trade in. It's a dangerous environment to to first get involved in crypto in because there are implications, right? There are dangers to doing that. But I would say if I had one piece of advice, it's, it's to have that long-term time horizon. There's a lot of noise in crypto. Um, I guess as far as is as, as when I kind of made my, my bigger move into crypto, um, in the fall of 2020, um, I took some time to, to get out of New York City and to recharge, uh, to go home. And at that, 
at that period in time, I was running every morning, not typically something I do, but it was just sort of a, a mental detox, you know, a physical detox, get out of the city, get some air. And each of those mornings, I would listen to a different crypto podcast. And the reason I was doing that is because I kind of started to hear the murmurs again, right? And the murmurs and the rumors, and I started to see, you know, Reddit channels popping up and discords popping up and crypto Twitter, you know, hyping crypto up again. And I recognized that hype um, because that same thing happened in 2017. And so at that point in time, I think it was probably between October and the end of December 2020 was when I scaled in uh, pretty aggressively into Ethereum, Bitcoin um, and Chainlink. And that was dry powder that I had not deployed into the equity markets leading up to March 2020. I lost, you know, obviously I was down when that initial crash happened, but I, I had made a conscious decision to keep, you know, cash uh, in checking and keep that available for what I deemed um, a good opportunity. And, and I, I thought crypto was about as good of a bet as I could get. Gotcha. So I, I'm curious. So your initial portfolio that included like Cardano, all this other stuff, how it seems like the biggest change you made was adding Chainlink. And I've saw some of your tweets here. You seem pretty convicted on Chainlink. So like what, what was your thought process on that one? I think that's one that maybe we haven't talked about that much on the podcast. So, and, and I know there's like a huge, uh, huge community around Chainlink. So what was the, the aha moment for that one? Yeah, definitely. I, I would say like back, back in 2017, it was, it was a bit more juvenile in terms of the projects that I was picking to invest in. Um, and, and one other thing that I would note and, and something that I think has been apparent in conversations I've had recently with people that are new to crypto is that I, I feel like there might be a bit of price bias in that people that don't have a lot of cash to work with, they don't have a lot of that initial capital. They look at, they look at Bitcoin, right? Or they look at Ethereum. And, you know, if you're looking at Bitcoin right now and it's at $40,000 and you have $1,000, right? That might feel meaning, meaningless, right? That might feel like you're not necessarily getting bang for your buck. And like, I know through direct conversations with people that they choose to invest in cheaper projects, right? Like it, it's not about the project itself. It's about the fact that Dogecoin is 30 cents, right? Or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Bo- Boomer and I have uh, discussed that point quite a lot uh, on the podcast. So that's like, you know, the natural filter from Bitcoin to Ethereum to, you know, it's like people think they miss Bitcoin and then, then they think they missed Ethereum. And so that, you know, um, you know, one of, one of the things that I've noticed is, is 2017 was all about um, the Bitcoin competitor, right? Like w- which crypto is going to replace Bitcoin. And for me, it feels like, the current moment, 2021, is about who's going to replace Ethereum, right? You know, we have yeah. uh, Cardano, Solana, Phantom, uh, Avalanche, you know, the, the list just keeps going on and on and on. Yep. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, I, I do. Um, I, I do see that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 interesting to 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 sort of witness and like, I guess I can sympathize with that in a way if you're coming into the party late. Um, you know, you're trying to get the most bang for your buck, but that I I would urge people not to think that way. Um, I'll be the first to admit that I'm far from a pro on crypto. If we get into more of the technical aspects of smart contracts, right. Or blockchain, like I'm certainly not as well versed as some people that focus on that sector purely. Um, but this is what I'd say, um, at least, you know, as it pertains to DeFi, right. There are like key issues to centralized financial systems. And I think that they, I think a lot of things have sort of lifted the kimono, so to speak, this year. But I, but I would argue that we we are starting to see some of the negative impacts of uh, not only fiscal policy, but also 
you know, maybe, maybe we're in the later inning here of like some of the aspects of capitalism that have been abused. And I you know, ultimately like, look, there's, there's a handful of problems that come with centralized financial systems, right? Like, first of all, they're centralized. So all of the power lays in the hands of a few people. Um, typically like you'll see, um, limited access, right? So like, you know, not everybody in the world has access to an ATM machine or to a bank. Um, we see, you know, a whole range of inefficiencies. There's a lack of like those systems and protocols to, uh, there is a lack of, of them being able to interact with each other, like which in crypto is or in DeFi, at least is typically referred to as like interoperability. And then of course, and I would argue like, this is one of the bigger things. And we've seen this with the GameStop debacle. And we've seen this uh, most recently with Fed, uh, with the, uh, the retirement of, of the regional Fed presidents is opacity, right? Like, Centralized financial systems continue to have these instances uh, of, a, of a lack of transparency. And, and I think for the first time, whether that's from the rise of social media or because everyone these days is in the stock market, those are things that people are witnessing, right? And so when you're looking at these projects, I think it pays to pay attention to you know, look at, look at, look at what the developers are doing. Look, look where they spent their time before where they are now. What are they working on? You know, who are they working with? Um, there's a lot of research to do and, and I'll be the first to say that, you know, I haven't done all of it, but th those are sort of the main points. So what was the specific, um, thing that turned you onto link? Because, uh, for me, I'm yeah. curious because I'm, you know, I, I, I'm a, you know, background in com uh, computer programming and developing and stuff. So, you know, I, I have a position in link, um, because of my background in in development, I see it as a as a, a tech. You know, I'm very bullish on it for for what it is for the tech perspective, right? Sure. Regardless of like the price action. Yeah, absolutely. And like, I would I would say you're pro. You know, you probably know about more about the technical side than I do. I mean, ultimately, I think it came down to. Um, you know, I've read a handful of books on DeFi. I've read a handful of of papers on DeFi, and it seems like there's a central um, a central challenge with oracles, right? Like, which is, which is what chain, chain link is designed for. Um, it's designed to, to solve that Oracle issue, um, by using an, uh, an aggregation of data sources and then link, and then, you know, no pun intended, but linking that data to the outside world. Um, and one of the reasons I have so much conviction in chain link right now is because if I look from, from a macro, a macro view at, Bitcoin, but also where D, where I see DeFi and where I see certain um, certain alt projects, I, I see like sort of tiered scales of adoption. Right, I think a good deal of retail is in Bitcoin right now. I don't think a good deal of retail really even knows what DeFi is or has read up on these projects. When I think about how crypto adoption is going to unfold over the next you know five to ten years, as I mentioned earlier, I typically have a longer term view. I see that Oracle issue becoming a bigger problem. I also see it as a linchpin, right? Um, if, if we're going to capture pieces of, you know, financial markets and large sets of data, and if crypto is actually going to do what so many of the bulls think it's going to do, this phenomena of, of connecting the blockchain to, you know, external facets and data in the real world is going to prove to be profitable, <laughs> to, yeah, to say the least, to, to say the least. Just for anyone uh, that's listening that's never heard the term Oracle before, for uh, what we're talking about, it, I'll give you an example would be, you know, if you want to see a uh, price of a stock, right? The uh, that that 
that information has to come from somewhere. You have to go out and find what that price is so you can display it. And so what, what Chainlink is trying to do is display, you know, this data in inside and outside the blockchain. So make that connection between, you know, what the price of Ethereum is and, or what the price of the S&P 500 is. Like if you wanted to ask that question, yep. you would go to Chainlink and they would give you the answer. Yeah, I mean, look, I think I think I also like Sergey Nazarov, um, you know, the founder. I'm, I'm a big believer in him. I watch a lot of his, you know, updates. I think I've seen it's, you know, it is tough to tell these days. There's a lot of noise, as I mentioned earlier. But, you know, I've seen recent updates from Chainlink about partnerships, um, you know, with Google affiliated companies, with Amazon Web Services. Um, Chainlink is you, you mentioned it earlier. Chainlink has a maniacal and often cult like following. Um, but, but I don't think that should detract from anyone, you know, seeing the, the value in chain link. Although I will say I'm getting a bit frustrated by the price action. <laughs> yeah. It's been kind of ranging for a long time. Um, I want to ask you just one more kind of like technical question. You mentioned you were on Gemini earlier. Are you still doing your trading on exchanges or are you self-custodying and doing DeFi trading on Ethereum or, or do you do any farming or, or are you mostly, uh, on exchange or do you split it? Yeah. Yeah. Another good question. Um, yeah. So I use a couple different exchanges. Um, I'm trying to look into using a VPN for Kraken in New York. If anyone has any details on that, that'd be great. Um, off the record, of course, but, uh, I primarily use Gemini and Coinbase. Um, I split holdings between the two. Um, I've got my alts on Coinbase. I've got my larger blue chips on Gemini, and then I'll keep another, uh, essentially half of the portfolio in cold storage. Um, and I've got two nano ledgers, uh, with a treasure on the way. So, um, that's another thing that I'd mention. um, you know, to anybody getting involved in crypto, if, if you have a meaningful amount of money, um, you know, on an exchange, you really do need to, to verse yourself in security. Um, this is still very much the wild west. Um, and if you do your research, right, there's been some unfortunate instances. Um, so yeah, I'd recommend, you know, never keeping really any more on an exchange than you'd be okay, you know, waking up to and, and seeing zero. Um, and as scary as that is, um, you know, and as rare as that is, that's still not something you'd want to have happen. So I, I highly recommend sort of structuring it that way. Um, you can tailor that uh, sort of arrangement, right, to, to your risk preferences and, and what you would want to have in the exchange uh, in the event that we dump and you paper hands. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. I think there's like even like a, a layer of inconvenience when you have to get out your ledger and punch in the numbers. Oh, yeah. That's kind of just like, oh, too much work. Like, I've, uh... Definitely, man. Definitely. And I think... I, it, it's funny you say that because back in 2017, there were instances where I almost just didn't get involved in crypto because at the time, right, the concept was so sketchy, for lack of a better word. It was like transfer your fiat onto this, you know, exchange that uh, <laughs> may or may not be secure and then buy this Internet money. Right. Um, we've come a long way since then, but uh, you just got to do it. You got to do it and get it done if it's something you want to do. Yeah, yeah, I think I, think I, I talked about that with you wasabi on your podcast that like part of the reason i didn't buy bitcoin in uh 2013 was like <laughs> i was worried that i was just gonna get robbed on ebay right it's like you know you you look back at that now and you're like okay cool that that re that risk reward was insane i should have just gotten robbed right like that was <laughs> you should have just you should have just jumped off the bridge <laughs> in that case right <laughs> yeah i think that's yeah. how i first bought dogecoin i went on reddit and said like hey does someone want to send me 
five bucks worth of Dogecoin in like 2017 or whenever it was launching. <laughs> uh, um, I wanted to, to shift gears a little bit and talk a little bit about NFTs because I see that your profile pick is a, a bastard Gan punk. So first off, uh, why do you have such impeccable tastes, sir? <laughs> that's hilarious um well i mean i'll tell you that story too if you want to know so yeah. uh yeah i'd say i'd say about well i guess a question for you how, how involved in nfts are you guys so me i i to be honest like i have seen a lot of nft projects come and go and haven't really gotten like that interested in them but the bastard ganpunks is the first one that really like grabbed me by the balls and i was like i need to get That's a great. lot of these i love these for some <laughs> reason i i can't even I, you know i i did a podcast with the guy that's the um the uh moderator of their discord who like knows oh, every, nice. everyone you know by the back of his uh hand so i don't know for some reason i just i just love them so yeah when I, saw that, I was like yeah, yeah we got a chat Little humble brag, Foot Guns has sold two NFTs. I think probably because we have a secret artist that is making us some really, really awesome art. Um, and yeah, we've been, you know, they're, they're Foot Guns themed um, NFTs and, you know, uh, sort of centered around articles that we're writing or podcasts that are recording. Nice. You know, maybe, yeah, yeah, it's been, it's been great. And I mean, my, you know, personally, um, I've, yeah, I've been I've been messing around with them a lot. Um, I, I minted one, my, my first NFT last October, actually. And uh, I remember wow. I remember doing it and kind of, you know, I, I've been, I minted a picture of my cat um, <laughs> and I was like, OK, this will never sell. But like, let's see what happens. Like something's about to happen here for sure. I definitely felt the energy um, building up around it. Certainly wish that I had like bought a, a an ether rock. I mean, that, yeah, yeah. I mean, that thought crossed my brain, crossed my brain that, um, you know, people are going to go run out and try and find um, all the old NFT projects or whatever. But again, like we're talking about, it's like, oh, well, that sounds like a lot of effort, right? And do I really want to be involved in that? And it's like, yeah, well, I could have made $3 million with a little bit of effort, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's crazy. I, I think it's pretty cool for a couple reasons. I think I was, I was super excited to see it because to, to me, ultimately, like it, it's one of the uh, purest forms of like expression, right? As a creator, like you have the ability to make something that's not only time stamped and, and, you know, data checked and whatever, you know, else you want to spice it on the blockchain, right? There's a record of what you made, but it's also, you know, immutable and it's it's autonomous and i i think that's why there's such a draw from not only creators but also influencers other people that are content creators because if you have that following um or or if you think you can generate a following right for for any sort of brand or or uh, person or event or whatever it is i mean you've seen what they have on there i mean it's ridiculous um I, look as far as the bastard gan goes like i I got this is just a total newbie move, but you know, whatever a month ago when, when the NFT market was like really raging, like I would say it's, it's softened a little bit. I mean, the big ones are still worth considerable money, but some of the more medium, you know, ranking, I would say like vegans, like just take vegans, for instance, like the tier price, uh, the floor price of vegans about a month ago was around 0.99 Ethereum on OpenSea. Um, and 
you know, at the time I was looking at a bunch of different stuff. I think you guys had asked about, you know, other chains as well. Like geckos is some galactic geckos is something I'm going to check out on the Solana chain. Um, I've been getting a, you know, a lot of DMS about that. I've seen a few of them. Like, I think they're pretty fucking cool. Um, and they're still relatively affordable. So I might take a look at those. Um, but for vegans, like for anybody that, you know, doesn't know, like ultimately like a vegans an NFT that is a punk derivative. So like the original crypto punks, the ones that you're seeing with, uh, with massive sky high Ethereum floors for, for a couple hundred K, um, vegans is a derivative of that. Um, it does get a bit technical and I'm, I'm, I'm certainly not a pro in it, but ultimately, um, and you guys correct me if, if I'm wrong, but ultimately it's, it's more or less sort of a, an automated process of generating the entire set of NFTs. Um, each of them has different features with different rarity, um, as far as like the background color. Um, if, if the, uh, if the vegan has a cigarette in its mouth or a jewel, um, or if, if the background is what they call calm. Uh, meaning a solid color, or if it's stat, uh, or if it's um, what is it, rage or, or active? Um, oh, meaning hype. it's a v- hype, hype, yeah. So it's a variable background. So all of these features, right, determine uh, you know um, the the value of your beacon at any given time. And I would say, like, I knew very well that I was buying the top, the local top, for sure. Um, I didn't care because because I've you know accumulated enough ETH where I was like, you know what, this is kind of a trophy so to speak it's kind of a cool thing to have and just like hold on to um and yeah more recently i think i might actually have it framed (laughs) on the wall get a physical copy of it or one of those larger digital screens to just display it nice so i i I saw i was checking out your open c and you also have a nft series that goes along with some of your brands like of uh financial i don't know if you want to call them heroes or villains you've got bernie madoff in there so like tell us a little bit about your nft series and how that fits into your your business yeah for sure like to be to be completely trans transparent with people um we've got a couple folks here that are that are working on um, different designs, sort of like different NFT offerings. Um, the Kings of Finance collection, which is on the Arbitrage Andy OpenSea right now, um, is just that. It's it's essentially a, a collection of notorious Wall Street figures. Um, we've got Janet Yellen in there. We've got a bunch of different folks in there, which I think is pretty entertaining. Um, and actually, last week, we sold uh, the Wolfie NFT and we sold Jerome, I believe, uh, for about two grand. So that was that was huge. Um, we had two bids come in roughly the same time. Nice. And what are you using to make those? I saw there's something at Pixel Chain. I wasn't familiar with that, but like, what are there any? Is there a platform they are on or or stuff you're using to make these? Yeah, I mean, I mean, like I said, I'm I'm really experimenting at this point and and trying to figure out what the optimal setup is. Um, I think there's a bunch of different tools that people use. Um, Pixel Chain is is a bit of an oddity, and it's it's I think like it serves a couple functions, but ultimately like it's an intuitive way to get that you know original pixel um, NFT look, and and you know you can select your grid your grid. Um, your grid measurements and your size and your colors and everything you want to do. And I think that was like, ultimately like one of the biggest hurdles for me when I, when I first looked at the space was 
I was like, what are these things? Right. They're just like, they're just like pixel paintings. Like they look, they look like a third grader drew them. Um, right. And then you do a little bit more research and, and you start to dig a little bit more into like the concepts of the fact that like, you know, they're limited or like this guarantees that you I mean, actually, it's kind, of, it's kind of the Andy Warhol approach to art, right? It's like, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I mean, I see a lot of similarities there and a lot of people also were really critical, you know, critical of, of that when, when that was, was going on, you know? Yeah, without without a doubt, and and ultimately, like um, I saw, I, someone said this on CNBC recently. I'm not I'm not sure who it was. Um, it might have been Mike Novogratz talking about Bitcoin, a piece of Bitcoin. But ultimately, like if people are willing to buy, people are willing to bid. Right? There's demand, and that creates the market. So people can seethe and cope all they want, <laughs> but at the end of the day, right? If someone's willing to buy an NFT of Jerome Powell, then more power to them, right? And if there's a market you know, best believe I'm going to get involved in it. So that that's ultimately the way that I look at it. Um, we'll continue to release probably a few more collections kind of based around the, the aesthetic and the vibe that we, that we cover and that we create content on. Um, but yeah, look, like I'm largely bullish on the space. I think we've softened, like some of the, like I said, some of the smaller to medium tier projects have definitely softened, um, in terms of bids. I'm not really worried about it. Um, as I kind of pointed to earlier, I look at these varying stages of adoption. NFTs, right, is is more or less the equivalent of what DeFi was in, in 2017, right, or 2018. Like, like the people, you know, the people from, from back then that were looking at DeFi were looking at NFTs for the last three years, right? So there's always people that are going to be ahead of you. Um, but, I mean, man, look at the adoption news, right? Like, I'm not sure if you guys look at Decentraland, Um there are all kinds of online, you know, Sotheby's. You can look, there's so many real world instances of this adoption. And if you think that's going away in the digital age, like you're crazy, there's there's no way. Yeah. So, I mean, one of the things that we've talked about on Foot Guns is that, you know, one of the differences between crypto in general, between like the dot com bubble is, you, you know, you have Bitcoin and Ethereum. So if you want to just go long crypto, right, you could just buy Bitcoin and Ethereum. And I think, I think, one of the things that the NFT space has a big similarity with the dot-com bubble is it's really hard in the NFT space to find the the one thing you can buy, right? The, yep. um, you have to go in and you have to pick projects and, and a lot of them are just going to disappear and go to zero, right? Yep. Um, yeah, that's I, a great point. I am curious if you've if you've uh, heard of Show You um, Sushi Swap's um, NFT space that they are planning on launching soon. I, I don't know a lot about that, but I've recently heard about it. Um, yeah. And actually, I'm not sure if you guys are familiar, but, but I, I heard about that very briefly through uh, Bowtie Bull Substack. I'm not sure if you guys follow them. Um, highly recommend if you don't. Um, Bowtie Bull uh, is an avatar. It's right an online account. And now it's, it's a Substack in business. But they were formerly the Wall Street Playboys. So for a long time, they had... Um, a, an awesome blog about front office roles and finance, uh, sales. Um, and they, they did a very, very good job. Like I, I would spend most of my time on there in wall street oasis, um, when I was in school and the wall street playboys had just a great way of sort of mapping out how to enter the professional world, where you're going to make the most money, um, what your inherent strengths are, right. A lot of like self-coaching, a lot of tweaking things to, to sort of, you know, tilt the odds of life in your favor, like a lot of really useful information. So they did that for a while. And, and then, you know, when we saw this crypto bull run kick off, they, 
they more or less, I think, revealed themselves. Um, and they are deep in crypto, um, deep in crypto. And they have a paid version for the Substack, but um, it's it's great. It's great stuff. Um, and I'm sure you guys follow a bunch of different folks on on crypto Twitter. But if you're trying to keep up with market and, and sentiment and, you know, waste tons of time on Twitter, I would, I would recommend you follow that as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, I am familiar with it. And I, I respect uh, his writing a lot. And the fact that they're taking these projects super seriously, and they hired this series of analysts, and they're doing these ultra deep dives on projects. It's it's a good resource. It's cool. I mean, they're I would say like their style of writing is not for everybody. Um, you know, but like, if you're trying to get really like the blunt, you know, the blunt truth of it on crypto and what you should be doing right now, I think it's a great resource. I think I think like broadly speaking, if you're not in crypto right now and you want exposure, the best thing you can do, and it's not financial advice, but the best thing you can do is, is you know, get off zero in terms of, of Bitcoin and Ethereum. And I'm not sure if you guys agree, but I, I mean, I would argue that's the best place to start, you know, even if it's one to 5% of your exposure. But I think we've had all the proof <laughs> that we need to see that, you know, these things are going to be around for a while. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I would only, I would just change that to say um, to buy all the things that foot guns follows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, like I've heard of sushi, right? I, I mean, if we run through like what I hold now, right? As far as as far as um, like things that I consider outside blue chips, like sushi's one I hold. Um, Matic, I hold Matic. I hold uh, Chainlink, Cardano, uh, Ave, Av, however people pronounce it. Um, and then I've got a little bit of ripple that I've been back holding now for four or five years. Um, and, uh, I'm trying to get into soul, man, but I, I will admit that I missed the soul pump. Yeah, yeah. it was funny. I was on a call, um, where these people were pushing, <laughs> pushing Solana to these, uh, you know, in, investor type folks. And it was literally like the, the day that the top was in. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I mean, you just know, right? Like, you just know that that you know the top's there. You can feel it, right? Like when you see that kind of hype and stuff, like you you can just feel it. And um, you know, I don't think you should try and time anything. I think like, and I've done it over the course of. I think I've got a combined three hundred different buys for my crypto portfolio. So it's it's dollar cost averaging to the max, mostly on super red days where, you know, if you were already holding a position, you'd probably want to throw up. Those are the days where you should be dollar cost averaging in. Um, or were there days that were green that I bought on the way up? Yeah. Like, of course there were, but I uh, largely, I, I think if you try to actively trade things and you don't know what you're doing, you're, you're going to get burnt pretty bad. So, I got another question for you. Um, you. You have this huge account with hundreds of thousands of followers um, that you've built up with posting a lot of memes, right? So I, I think you've, you've thought a lot about memes and, and what makes a good meme. So let me ask you this. What's the most powerful meme in crypto? <laughs> the most powerful meme in crypto? That's a good question. I uh, I was thinking about this before I hopped on here to, to chat with you guys um, about the phrase NGMI. And, and to me, you know, I, I, I think it's, I think it's humorous. Um, for those of you that don't know, NGMI stands for not going to make it. Um, I'm not, I'm not sure who started that crypto meme. Um, 
but I, I know that it is abundantly present on crypto Twitter. Um, and essentially, the idea of that phrase is that if you're not on board with the you know coming shift of financial paradigm that we're witnessing, then you're simply not going to make it. <laughs> and uh, you know, I think people would probably take issue with that. I, I think you know that's maybe more of like an extreme view on it. Um, but like I said earlier, like I'm I'm pretty convicted on crypto. I th- I think crypto was designed for the macro and global environment that we're seeing today. Um, on a variety of fronts, as I mentioned earlier. And I do think there's sort of a degree of, um, you know, intensity to it, right? We have a situation where our government has been printing money since the crash of 2020 in March um, to essentially avoid, right, uh, a nationwide market recession. And there's no signs of that slowing down, right? Of course, the Fed has announced, um, you know, the implications of, of a potential taper. But the fact is the money's already been printed, Right. And we had this con- we, we we dove into this conversation a little bit before we hop on here, but you know everybody knows the basic laws of supply and demand, and when no one is holding you know the supply creator accountable for <laughs> the magnitude of what is being generated um, and the impact that it's going to have down the line, to me that's a red flag. It's a red flag, and so ultimately I see Bitcoin as the premier store of value. Um, I, I see it as digital gold. Um, right now, I think my exposure to gold is probably maybe 2%. Um, I've got about 35% of my total portfolio in Bitcoin. Um, and so, you know, as I mentioned, I do see Bitcoin selling off if we do have a broader equity and, and markets, you know, a global sell-off um, that everybody's sort of been calling for now for about, you know, two years, uh, including me. Um I see it initially falling in that environment because people will panic sell, but the ultimate test for Bitcoin, as far as you know, fulfilling the use case that I see it having, is if it can weather that storm. So that's that for me. That's the big test. I'm not sure how you guys feel about it. Yeah, I, yeah, mean, I completely, I completely agree that if there was a, a you know this, this big pullback in the the S P 500 that that especially if, if the NASDAQ were to, to come down, that, that Bitcoin were to follow. I mean, that's kind of what happened um, 2020 is is Bitcoin sort of followed the NASDAQ, but but did it with a lot more uh, volatility and, and a lot more upside volatility. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the other thing, right, to comment on. Like, crypto is volatile, man. Like, you know, nobody said it wasn't. It's very volatile. Um, you know, we were, we were delving into this earlier, but like, as of right now, I'm I'm hearing you know from a lo- from people that are a lot more experienced from me on crypto Twitter, you know people that I follow. It, it seems like on chain fundamentals are bullish right now, um, right? But like I, I continue to see this pattern of like you know where reality doesn't really match what's going on you know behind the curtains or like what's actually going on. So like we do have bigger players in crypto now. Um, there's plenty of hedge funds that are active in, in DeFi markets, plenty of venture capital folks, um, right? There's larger institutions that are getting involved in these bigger blue chips. So, you know, there's there's native crypto whales that have been doing this for a very long time and have been controlling these markets. And now you have these players coming in, you know, volatility is guaranteed. Um, and like I said earlier, like the, the one thing that you can do to ensure that you're successful in my opinion, is is to dollar cost average in, um, right? Maybe put in more on like a super down day um, and pay attention to macro trends. You know what I mean? Because nobody wants to get burnt, you know, on the top and 
and you know lose 70 percent in a week so yeah and that i mean that's what we we publish every day for our paid subscribers and foot guns a um a, a cheat sheet which shows you resistances on the daily weekly and monthly time frames which is essentially okay. you just go in and and put some uh buy orders on on the supports and you put some sell orders on the resistance right if you want to be really lazy yeah, uh, you could you could do it four times a year based off of the the monthly support and resistance, right? Um, those sort of like macro moves, um, and yeah, and we give you a little bit of like our, our bias as, as to um, whether or not we're bullish or bearish or um, you know neutral, meaning we think the price is just going to kind of grind sideways for a while. Um, but yeah, yeah what what one of the biggest mistakes is over trading for sure. Um, uh, you know, I recently just just sort of stopped trading in the last um, three or four days because I was making, uh, you know, really, 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 really successful trades back to back to back. And then all of a sudden yep. um, the market's turned around on me and, uh, you know, uh, I, I kept going for a while and gave a little bit back. But um, part of it was that it was a, um, a, a global move, right? It was a, a macro move. It wasn't something that was um happening within the short-term time frame so fundamental yeah 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 exactly so you build up you build up all this this information you know like let's take chain link for example like you learn all about it and you have a great idea where it's going um but you know the the stock market crashes two percent in an hour or something like that you you can't you can't be long risk assets in that moment and and profit off of it no, without without a doubt, and I and I I would say, I mean, look, like we've got, you know, we've had some crazy shit going on for two years. Like I think, you know, people people need to have a bit of grace for themselves. You know, a lot of people have switched jobs, quit jobs, taken on, you know, sabbaticals. I mean, during during this pandemic and lockup, people have drastically changed their lives, right, and changed kind of like what their focuses are and and what the things are that they care about. And if look, if you're if you're participating in markets, if you're, you know, forward thinking right now, in my mind, crypto is an absolute no brainer. Um, Am I am I too long? Like potentially, (laughs) potentially I am, but like, I'll take some off the top, you know, I'm, I'm well into profit at this point on my, my longer core holdings. And so to me, the, the upside that you would sacrifice by getting out now because of, you know, a potential black swan event, like to me, that's, it's just not worth it because I'm bullish through the end of the year. Um, you know, I'm not a religious stock to flow chart, you know, follower, um, for the you know, for those of you who don't know, the stock to flow model is is uh, a mathematical model that's employed with Bitcoin to to track like a number of metrics related to the happening. So it's thought to be a little bit more accurate and predictive. Um, obviously, right? We know that that the past is no indicator of what's going to happen in the future, but um, a lot of a lot of big crypto OGs sort of look to that as uh, a bellwether, right? For for what's to come. Um, do I think the top already came? No, I definitely don't. Um, I couldn't tell you, I couldn't tell you when this, you know, they like to call it a blow off top. I couldn't tell you when I think that's going to happen. Um, you know, it kind of feels like it might be coming here in the winter, but like, you know, like you, like you mentioned, I think it's just tricky right now because there's a number of different factors that are, um, at play. Uh, ultimately like there, there's the regulation risk right from the SEC, um, there, there's, you know, the money printing, there's our relationship with China, there's the stock market, there are a lot of things going on right now that are going to impact crypto and and it is going to be volatile. So if you don't have the stomach for it, um, you know, you might be better off waiting for uh, the God sell off and, and trying to buy the bottom. <laughs> 
<laughs> so and I mean, uh, just just one in the the short term. Uh, I did I did publish this in the, in the newsletter, and uh, you know, I mean, this might not play out, but uh, thirty eight thousand dollars is is looking like a really nice spot for a buy order. Um, you know, I, I, yeah. Part, part of what part of what we're trying to do at Foot Guns is, uh, you know, get in a little trouble. So that that is financial advice. Uh, put a buy order at thirty eight thousand five hundred, and then sue me if you lose money. Yeah, I mean, I think you're, I think you're right. Like one, one thing I'll say, and again, I'm not, I'm not in the charts like you guys are, you know, all day. Like typically, I'm, I'm not looking at those longer core, tor- uh, core longer term holdings, but. You know, what I will say is that, like, the general impression I get is that it's been very oversold. Um, you know, the the trader part of me kind of, you know, smells a little bit of bullshit as far as price action. I, I, think, I think it was very blatantly obvious that that first sell-off was probably, you know, it probably con- constituted largely of, of whales, right? If, you, if you've been holding, you know, whatever it is, 1,000, 10,000 Bitcoin, if you've been holding that shit since, since $100, like you're selling at 60K. I don't, I don't care. Yeah, like, I mean, you know, absolutely. If you're, a hedge, <laughs> if you're a hedge fund that invested, you know, $10 million in Bitcoin and you now have $60 million in Bitcoin, you're going to take half of your position off. Like, absolutely. At least. I mean, if not, if not the entire thing. <laughs> yeah, at least. So like, to, to be honest with you, and, and this kind of goes back to like what we were talking about in terms of, of not trying to overtrade, you know, it's no stranger that, that people have the, the conversation, um, uh, about emotions, right. With trading. And like, if there's one thing that I've learned, you know, through all this volatility, you need to buy, like, if you have a position on that's a long-term position, you need to buy on the days that like seriously make your stomach turn. Like those are the days that you need to buy. Um, easier said than done because that's, that's literally the last absolute, the last moment that you want to put more of your, you know, hard-earned fiat into the market. But that's what you got to do. And the other piece of it, if you're trying to be a profitable trader and you don't have a longer term time horizon, is when you're euphoric and you think you're the smartest guy in the room and and you're, you know, walking around your one bedroom apartment, you know, hyped, hyped AF, that's when you need to sell. <laughs> that's when you need to sell some piece of that position uh, because that doesn't continue to forever. And like I used the example earlier, um, around the time that, that we had that first, you know, aggressive sell-off and it was violent. Um, my aunt had texted me about Dogecoin and I was like, holy shit, like, <laughs> look how this information has spread. Uh, look what people are doing. And I said, this is, this is more than likely a local top. And, and it was, um, and I didn't take any profit, um, but I didn't sell any either. So long and strong. Uh, yeah. Another little bit of alpha for you is if you're about to post a screenshot, you should sell before you post the screenshot. I love it. Yeah, I love it. It sounds like what the uh, Fed guys were doing. Just a derivative <laughs> of that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I want to see Nancy Pelosi posting her screenshots. That would be that would be the, the ultimate alpha move. Dude, it, where it's... are all these people getting all these pictures of Nancy Pelosi? I mean, I feel I feel like I've seen so many. <laughs> um, so just so like iconic pictures of her recently that are like meme worthy and yeah I don't know I'm uh, it, it's it's definitely been for some good chuckles. Yeah, she's 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 definitely a, a trending piece of content right now online. I think uh, yeah, I think like I said, things are wild right now, um, and you know I, I think it presents a lot of opportunity, but you know you also got to look out for yourself. So. Um, yeah, I mean these equity markets the last couple of days are are looking pretty brutal. 
On uh, one one more thing on Bitcoin. So thirty five percent year long. Are you interested in any of these like publicly traded miners or things like MicroStrategy or any other kind of like Bitcoin related trades in the equities markets? Yeah, yeah. I own Mara. Um, I'd say like Mara, Mara uh, and Nvidia are two of my longer uh, you know equity holdings. Um, what, was the, what was the second one? Mara, I, well, I guess sort of like tangentially related, but Mara, M A R A, is one that I, uh, one that I look at, and then Nvidia. So, like you know, they're I guess indirectly related, but um, Nvidia is a longer play. I did I did trade Coinbase a little bit uh, initially after the IPO, um, but I got to be honest, I, I ultimately like I think the concept of Coinbase almost defeats the original intent uh, of crypto, which is to get away from centralization. Um, I'm sure, you know, you guys have been trading for a while, but like I'm sure to the listeners that, you know, have cut their teeth on crypto before, like it's no secret um, or I get, yeah, it's not a well-cup secret that like Coinbase and Gemini like routinely will go down during more, uh, times of like intense market volatility and like that's a problem <laughs> like that's not that's not ideal you know what i mean because in 2017 2018 like we saw how quickly you know markets can shift and it can be like you know apocalyptic so if you it's just kind of like another testament to like you know this is still like pretty frontier stuff and gung ho um i can you know you asked the question earlier and i didn't really speak to it but um i do i do like a little bit of lending like i i i lend out some of my crypto on gemini um i wasn't super pleased the last time i tried to get it get it back it actually took uh, it was my chain link and it actually took i think four or five days um to actually get the chain link back um and so, like, I see some of these joints, right? Like, they require a bit more, a bit more oil. Uh, I, I, you know, I think with time, like, those things will become more, more efficient. Um, but ultimately, like, the best thing you can do to like hedge and to like protect yourself is just to like research, take the security seriously. You know, understand what it means. You know, uh, not your keys, not your coins. Like, you need to understand these concepts. Um, and if you do those things right, and and you take like a pretty pragmatic approach, like. There's money to be made, man. Like this, this industry is not going away. It's going to change, and there's going to be like some pretty awesome opportunities. But it's it's here to stay, without a doubt. So let's let's move to ETH a little bit. So you said you're long ETH. Um, you said you're long Matic. How do you think about this uh, question that Hal brought up at the beginning, like the competition to be the ETH killer? Do you think these ETH killers ultimately strengthen ETH, or how 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 are you positioned? Uh, between ETH and and the kind of ETH little brothers, yeah. Um, so Ethereum is a slightly larger allocation of my portfolio. Um, so I'd say of my crypto portfolio, I think ETH probably at, at this time, if you include the Beacon, it's probably like forty percent, forty five percent. So you're you're looking at like forty five percent Ethereum, thirty to thirty five percent. Bitcoin and the balances in Chainlink and, and those other alts. Um, you know, for now, like I, for now, I'm, I'm still pretty bullish Ethereum. I will say like when I first ventured into the NFT space and, you know, you guys spoke to it earlier, the, the Tulip Mania NFT that we sold. Um, when I, when I first minted that, 
it was uh, a period of like pretty high congestion on the network. <laughs> and I remember seeing the gas fees uh, that were required to mint it. And like, I was like, this is ridiculous. There's absolutely no way this is like sustainable. Um, so like when people speak to, um, you know, the gas, sort of the gas issue, I guess the gas question with Ethereum, like I, you know, I do see that as, as a valid concern. I, I think it's something to be discussed. And I think the most obvious competitor to that, right, is Solana. Um, it's Sol. And people definitely realize that, you know, the last couple months, I think, you know, other, again, we discussed it earlier, people don't want to pay $3,000 for an Ethereum. They just don't want to do it. So you got to take a little bit of that bias out of it. Um, and look, I, I, I do think there are advantages to, to Solana over Ethereum. Like, do I think that they're additive enough to make a, a difference? Like, no, I, I don't. Um, you know, I think it'll be wise for me to reallocate some some profit into some of those competing um projects but like for the time being i'm pretty bullish ethereum man like i'm i'm pretty pretty convicted and pretty certain that it's going to be trading over ten thousand in the future nice so you hit B, B, bitcoin we hit eth we hit link earlier um just curious so like you, you know you have some alts you have sushi ave some of these others and you said you're you're on the lookout on Twitter and um, other Substacks. Are there any like other writers or people on Twitter or Discords or places that you go to get alpha? Any any like developers you follow or or people? I know like you know how and I chat. We have certain people that's like okay if if this developer puts out a project, it's kind of like an insta buy. Like, do you have any people that you look to in that capacity? Yeah, I mean, look, admittedly, like on the developer side, I'm probably not the best person to ask. I I find I, I find I spend most of my time um, following like you know some of the more active traders that have been doing this for a long time on on uh, Twitter. Um, so like I you know I follow Pomp, I follow uh, Crypto Kobe. Um, so he's sort of an OG. Um, you know, be warned, he's a bit of a troll, but um, he he's a good resource. Um, Gainsy is another one. Um, Chainlink God is, is a great account to follow if you're trying to keep, uh, keep updated on Chainlink. Um, I can send you guys a list of this, uh, of all these after we hop off here, but like, just be active about it. You know what I mean? If I, if I'm trying to find something that I haven't researched on Chainlink or, or, you know, a piece, a piece on a partnership that just came out, um, I'll literally just search the hashtag in Twitter and I'll just go see what's most recent. I'll see what people are saying. A lot of the education that I had on vegans and sort of like what was going on in the market was from that discord, um, that I'm a member of, um, but also following like vegans, you know, updates on Twitter. Um, People, there's a, I'll just say this, there's a reason why we're seeing a, a very quick acceleration of stock gurus on TikTok and, you know, different fintech companies that are trying to come in and make the next social media for stocks. Like, there's a reason why we're seeing that gold rush come. And, you know, the reason is that the, the market is like pretty much, you know, untapped. Like, I don't think anyone's really done it, you know, in a very, very good way. So, Social media is a very excellent resource to get educated on these things. Like I said, the Bowtie Bull Substack. Um, I follow Pomp's Substack. Um, a couple like other smaller ones. Um, definitely read through the white papers. Like if you get a chance, like <laughs> it's pretty dry stuff. But like if you manage to get through, you know, any piece of it, you you should have a 
general better understanding of what you're reading about. Um, you know, I follow things like, you know, what are celebrities investing in, you know, not Busta Rhymes, but like, you know, I know for a fact, Mark Cuban states, you know, a pretty sizable position in Matic. Ultimately, like you need to build up your information flow. You know what I mean? You need to have multiple venues where you're constantly seeing what's going on, um, you know, what's being talked about and, and what potentially might, might have some promise. And, you know, you're every day you're looking through this stuff and funneling, I guess, the kind of funny stuff into your meme account and the more serious trading stuff into your sub stack and your other properties. So to, to close out, can you just give us like if, if people are interested in, in connecting with you, hearing more, um, connecting with your newsletter, what what are the, the best ports of entry to your uh, to the arbitrage and the ecosystem? Yeah, man, I would I would just say, like I mentioned earlier, we've been making a pretty strong attempt to bolster that digital presence. Right. And and you mentioned it earlier, Twitter, um, Instagram, the newsletter um, definitely have some bigger plans uh, down the line that I need to, you know, obviously organize logistics on. But like they should be pretty exciting projects. Um, and we've got a number of pretty high profile partnerships coming out as well. Um, so those are things to monitor. If you're looking to stay up to date on what the community's talking about, on what I'm looking at, you know, some of the trades that I'm that I'm making and kind of what I think in general, um, the Substack's probably the best way. It's called the Arb Letter. Um, so pretty pretty easy and intuitive to find. If you like edgy memes that are definitely controversial, then <laughs> then the Instagram account is for you. Um, and if you like even less of a filter, then I'd recommend Twitter. <laughs> Awesome. Arbitrage Andy, thanks so much for, for chatting with us. It was awesome to, uh, to talk with you. Yeah, boys, I appreciate the invites. It's been great.